The Courage to Lead, episode 101. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Dr. Daniel Halleck. Uh, nothing gets Daniel more excited than the opportunity to build authentic relationships and intentionally develop leaders. As a chief commercial officer at Wild Leaders, Daniel drives strategic commercial initiatives and other operations, product development, and marketing efforts that support the development of whole leaders. He's known for bringing energy and thoughtful research-based practices that actually make a difference. Before Wild, he spent over a decade developing whole leaders in business, academic, and not-for-profit settings. He runs his own coaching practice and has had experience as a recruiter at Microsoft, a career management consultant at Wright Management Consultants, and in a leadership development role at Slalom, an award-winning consulting firm. He's also served as a coach, professor, and advisor at three higher education institutions. Daniel has spoken at countless events, conferences, and professional associations. He earned his PhD and his Master of Arts in Industrial Organizational Psychology from Seattle Pacific University. Daniel lives in Walla Walla, Washington with his wife, Kristen, and their three children. Daniel, welcome to the show. Hey, so glad to be here, Harlan. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, this is this is awesome. I definitely want to, I love Wild Leaders. I've looked at the website, um, love the stuff you guys are doing there. Wild is an acronym, right? What does WILD stand for? Yeah, WILD stands for Whole and Intentional Leader Development. And the double meaning is that every leader that we work with and every leader I've encountered has a wild story that typically goes beyond the conventional. It is the unexpected. And uh, leading is a wild journey. And our, our big mission is developing courageous and sacrificial leaders, something I know that resonates with you with, with the theme of courage. And so to be a courageous leader, it's going to be a wild ride. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So. All right. So I want to come back. I want to talk about that. Talk about wild, how you got your start, um, your degrees, some of the companies you're working with and, and things that you've seen in coaching and building these, developing these leaders. Um, but before we get started, I've got 10 questions. These 10 questions, um, my listeners will know, uh, same questions I ask every one of my guests. They were made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio where the host James Lipton asked these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Daniel, if you're ready, 10 questions for you. Question number one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word is intentional. And it's funny that it's part of our brand. Years ago, a friend told me, she said, that is your word. And so when I saw that, um, that was part of our brand, it was, it was like, oh, I was meant to, <laughs> I was meant to be here, but I love that word and what it represents. Absolutely. Very cool. What is your least favorite word? Right now it's simplistic. And I think it's because simple things are good, but today we're looking for overly simplified, simplistic solutions to, you know, three steps to success stuff just doesn't work. So that's my, my least favorite word of the moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question three, what turns you on? I'm turned on by helping people develop their full capacity and move towards becoming courageous and sacrificial leaders. That's really what drives me. Excellent. What turns you off? People who think they have all the answers and are not willing to continue to learn. Absolutely. Um, what sound or noise do you love? I love the sound of coffee brewing in the morning. Oh, coffee. <laughs> Good coffee brewing. I don't know if that makes a different sound, but it's the oh, no, that's awesome. Coffee brewing. Absolutely. All right. What sound or noise do you hate? Right now, it's the whining of a puppy in, my, in my garage. <laughs> I'd whine if you stuck me in the garage, too. <laughs> Um, it's a pretty nice garage. Okay. <laughs> that makes a difference. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? I would say it rhymes with spit. 
And the reason for that is because my, my 10 year old is just becoming aware of curse words out there in the world. <laughs> and so, you know, asking questions like, well, daddy, why, why is that a bad word? And you kind of go, yeah, I mean, let me really think about it. It's, he's like, how is that different than poop? <laughs> good, good question. Good question. Yeah. <laughs> good question. All right. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ooh, if I, if I wasn't in this field, I would love to have been a pastor. Okay. I almost did that. And I say love to, but I also know it would be really challenging. So it's not one of those, this would just be fun. <laughs> that, that's a yeah, path I almost pursued. The, the, the road diverged. Awesome. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Oh, landscaping. I started that when I was 14 and um, digging ditches quickly told me, that I should um, pay attention in school. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done. I love you. I'm glad you're here. Well done. Well done. All right, Danny, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got your start, um, your work with wild leaders, and some of the things you're doing there. And at some point, we're going to transition into courage. All right. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. So listeners, stick with us. We'll be right back after this. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine any more. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Daniel Halleck. Daniel, thank you again for agreeing to be on the podcast. So tell me how you got your, where did you start? Did, or have you always been up in the, the Pacific Northwest? Is that where you grew up? Yeah, so I'm a Northwest native. My parents just sold their house, the house that I was born in. They bought a house in a little town called Redmond, Washington. And then a guy called Bill Gates decided to build a business basically in their backyard. So all the trails we used to walk as a kid are now Microsoft buildings. I'm not kidding you, which is absolutely wow. crazy to see. So it worked for them in terms of selling their house. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, Northwest born and, born and raised. Very nice. Yeah, I've been up into the Seattle area. I don't think I've ever been to the Walla Walla area and stuff. But yeah, Walla yeah. Walla. I moved here about a year ago. It is wine country. It, we just got ranked. I feel like I should get paid by the Chamber of Commerce. I tell everybody, <laughs> we just got ranked uh, for the second year in a row, top wine district district in the U.S. So giving Napa a run for its money. People refer to us as Napa, but you can wear jeans. So perfect. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and industrial organizational psychology. How did you settle on that? Was that a degree you, you <laughs> chose? And what, I mean, did you grow up knowing that's what you wanted to do or Boy, did you stumble it, into it? It's, it's such a great, it's so funny, Harlan. And this is again, back to that wild, everyone has a wild journey. I never thought I would even be in a, in a pathway like this. I was dead set on being a marriage and family therapist. And I woke up one day, I was 20 and single. And I thought maybe this, is not the right time to be a marriage therapist. <laughs> I just had this image of sitting with somebody who is seasoned and them going, so do you even have a girlfriend right now? Or do you, what, 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 are you, what are you drawing on for me, you know, other than just some books? And so um, I was a psych major and had always been fascinated with business and discovered this area of industrial and organizational psychology, applying what we know from decades of research, stats, and psychological principles to organizations and businesses and helping develop leaders, hire the right people, develop cultures. And so that really grabbed me. And so I, I jumped into that in that profession um, and ended up opening up some doors to come back and do a PhD, something I never expected to do, but was it's an incredible field, Harlan. Any, yeah. any uh, study you see from Google that says, hey, Google discover the top managers do these five things or the best cultures do these three things, it's a team of my peers who are doing and friends who are doing that research wow. um, and then turning it into programs. So it's a powerful, powerful wow. guild that most people have never heard of. 
Exactly. Yeah. My background as a, a management consultant was in organizational change management. Yeah. So we would go in whenever a business was going, undergoing some major change and help the executive team understand the change, the impacts of that change, and then how to communicate that change to lead their people through it. And it is, it's one of those things that most businesses overlook. They just think, oh, it'll happen naturally. Yeah. And it's funny because I think about those, you know, change or psychology, it's all about the invisible stuff. Mm-hmm. And you think about it, all the visible things, the stuff that we want to get done, they get driven by the invisible things, people's motivations, how they're responding to change, what they're thinking and feeling, yeah. you know, all of those things are the invisible things. They're the gears underneath the gears, but we just overlook it because we think about the, the budgets or the buildings or the system implementation and not what's the stuff that's going to be getting it there. So when people say, oh, it's the soft skills, I like to push back and say, actually, it's the harder skills. It's not a soft, yeah. you know, people isn't a soft science. It's the harder science. Absolutely. <laughs> really? No, because when you think of a business, a business making things, right? That's the easy part of it. It's how did you bring all these, you know, different people together to create a culture where they want to work together. They want to help each other. They want to do this. You know, if you imagine a family growing by adopting all these different kids from all these different areas and trying to get them to work together as a family is tough. Well, you're doing the same thing in the business. You're bringing all these different people in. And if you don't have a good solid culture for them to buy into and, and integrate into, you're going to miss it. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great analogy as well, because I think of, when I think of that culture with that family, you, I, I instantly think of when I think of a culture and a family, I think of going to a certain family's house as a kid. And every family has a feel. You can just, you know, not just how their house looks or smells, but there's a feel of what it's like. And it's the same thing today in organizations. And especially with this talent stuff we have going on, you know, so-called war on talent, not new, people having a hard time finding people, retaining people. It's interesting. I mean, I'm sure you've been seeing this over the mm-hmm. with, uh, leaders you work with, but over the last year, year and a half, I've never seen such a felt need for investing in people, investing in leaders. I've always seen leaders who would say, this is the right thing to do, or I believe in this myself, yeah. but push come the shove. If you have budgets on the line and a cut, you might cut that. But it's interesting seeing people accept that as just, this is, it's never been more relevant and this work has never been more, um, top of mind, I think, for, for leaders than, than I'm seeing. Yeah. And I grew up in Southern California. Uh, we worked at Lockheed um, down in Burbank. All, almost everybody in my family and the neighborhood worked at Lockheed at one point or another. But it was uh, manufacturing and you had to be close by. You were right there. You knew that when you got out of school, you're going to go to work at Lockheed. Now it's more thought work, right? It, you can be remote. You can be anywhere. You can choose where you want to work. And I think that's a, the thing that businesses have had to kind of get used to. The pandemic showed that we can do remote work. You can have a remote team. It can work out and stuff. But I just, I think there's a lot of businesses that they just expect, well, if we open the door and put a sign up, people will naturally come to us and yeah. work. And that's just not the case anymore. Yeah. It's a totally different set, totally different set of rules. And, and when somebody's virtual, I see leaders asking the question, okay, so how do I, how do I engage people? How do I lead them? Which maybe revealed the roots that they weren't leading effectively face-to-face. They relied on the artifacts of culture, like the building, yeah. like the proximity. And they, and that might've given them a sense of leading, but they weren't actually leading. And now it, yeah. it almost makes it, um, if you can lead in a virtual environment, you can probably lead face-to-face yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 The engagement is huge. I did a, a presentation of, couple of years ago about the cost of disengaged employees and that ripple effect through your business, through other businesses, you know, you may think, Oh, in, in this department, this person is not engaged. So their work is, is low, but they talk to everybody around them. They're talking to their spouse or, or boyfriend, girlfriend at another company talking about how, you know, bad this company is and everything like that. So you're taking them out of their work environment. That ripple effect is huge and it's costing it's- millions of dollars. Every yeah. year. And today, I think with the pandemic and the shifts, we're seeing people 
pause and reevaluate like we've never seen to say, do I want to live here? Do I want to work here? What am, you know, am I willing to take a pay cut to do something else? Should I switch careers? So it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating time from an organizational standpoint, but also from the individual standpoint where people are not just consumers voting with their feet, but, but employees as well. Absolutely. So tell me about Wild Leaders. How did you get connected with them? Yeah, so Wild, our founder and CEO, my partner in this in this work, Dr. Rob McKenna, it's a fun story. He was a former professor of mine for my master's degree and my PhD. He is the person I completed my master's degree right out of undergrad, started to go into, into the market. And I bumped into him on an airplane about four years ago and, oh, and uh, joined this, this organization. I was a client beforehand. Hmm. Even further back, I bumped into him in the weight room one day and he convinced me to join a PhD. So Rob has been pretty meaningful for me in, in uh, getting me to join a PhD when I had no intention of doing that, but it's, I'm so glad I did. And then joining this organization, Wild. And it got started because he was um, running as a running a department in this field, industrial organizational psychology, with a team of doctorate researchers. So doing great research on what do we know about leaders and how do we develop them. At the same time, he was doing a lot of consulting, coaching, speaking, and got to the point of saying, I don't want to just inspire people. I want to also equip them with what we know from the best of the research from decades on how, how do we develop leaders and give them something that's systematic. So a lot of leader development looks like this. Unfortunately, I, I think this is why it doesn't touch down to culture. This culture is about the invisible, deeply held assumptions. A lot of leader development, unfortunately, ends up being, let's give you a personality test, a one-day uh, airport seminar, a best-selling book, a motivational speaker. We're going to help you understand your color, your number, your spirit animal. <laughs> We're going to put you in a box, call you a leader, and go from there. Yep. And yeah, then we get surprised <laughs> when it doesn't make a difference or change culture, right? Like, well, I did this. And yeah. so, and, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not decrying events. We've got a wedding planner on staff. So we try to do a world, I want, I want a world-class event. I want you to have that this <laughs> moment. But the problem is we just do these moments in time and they don't have any follow-up. So what Rob did was he built a, a systematic approach to developing leaders that connects the development of a person with the actual rhythm of a, of a, of a business that over time changes the culture. So he built 10 assessments that are designed to be completed in a year long fashion and gone through again and again and again, which is completely different. So it's less of an assessment, like let me give you a test and tell you if you're a good leader or what your personality is. And it's more of the assessment that asks you the deep questions that you know matter, but you go, I don't know if I have the answer right away. Let me do some excavating and let me do this with others. And by doing so, we'll develop psychological safety, we'll develop trust, we'll, we'll build culture and create a place where people hopefully become stretched and supported at, at exactly the same time. And I think that's what's missing from organizations today. So I joined Rob because I've done leader development in a, a range of places, but I've never seen anything like he built that actually gets systematic, gets rhythmic and makes development a business, uh, a business process. Yeah. And not just a fun thing we do if we happen to have leftover money in the slush fund. Exactly. So. Yeah. And it, change should never be an event. It has to be a process because change is happening all the time, right? Yeah. Um, you bring up culture. I know culture is huge. Uh, I've had several people on the podcast already talking about culture. Uh, Dan Eds was one. Um, yeah. Talking about culture and how important that is to companies. What are, you, what are you finding? When the leaders come in, do they just expect that culture will just happen? I mean, it's, it's interesting. Culture is so important and, and yet it's also kind of amorphous. And so leaders know that there's a need for it, either opportunity or problem. They often don't know what to do about it. So one of the things we've been finding in, in, is one of the keys as we're vetting leaders to work with, we've started to realize that we have to move beyond leadership buy-in. Okay. Every change, I've got a book on organizational culture and leadership by Edgar Schein, one of the best books out there, on, I think, on culture. And I love that he has culture and leadership in the same title because they're, they're inseparable. Yeah. And so we know, everyone knows you got to get leaders involved. You got to get leaders bought in and engaged. But we started to realize leadership buy-in could be this, 
I am the executive and I'm seeing Glassdoor reviews or I'm seeing attrition issues or I see my engagement survey says people want to be developed. And so I throw development at people. I put a line item in a budget and that's leadership buy-in, which means, um, yeah, I'll give a nod to it. And then unfortunately we'll ask those leaders, we'll say, what you have all these programs in place. This is how much you're spending. What is that to you? And some of them will honestly say it's noise. Hmm. You know, it's not connected to the business. So we've realized is that we have to move beyond leadership buy-in to leadership participation. So when we have a leader who will stand up in front of an all hands and say, I'm excited to be engaging with wild and bring this system in place, whatever the thing is. And let me tell you why, let me tell you what I'm personally learning where I'm challenged and where I want to grow for my sake and for your sake. And this is why I want to do that process along with you. Mm-hmm. Well, the leader can start there and then actually do the process with people. It is at that point, I mean, we want to bring the best we, we can, but we could almost bring anything at that point and they're going to metabolize it um, over time because that's a leader who's committed to the long term. They're not looking for that event, like you said, that episodic flashpoint. Yeah even if that might be a trigger point. So that there's a lot more there, but that's one of the things we've been seeing is, is leaders participating and creating an invitation instead of declaring what you should do is, is a subtle game changer for, I think, moving that cultural needle. Nice. So you say you have 10 different assessments. What are, what are some of the questions you ask on those assessments? I'll give you a couple questions that relate to some of them. So the first one is all around, where are you right now? Getting a baseline. One of the tools is around calling and purpose. And so a question that comes from that is, what do you believe you're called to right now? What would you, what would change if you knew where you are going and why? Hmm. We have one on, on leading under pressure. A question we often ask is what would change if you were more composed under pressure? What would change if, you are intentionally investing in the growth and development of others as a tool on investing in people. What would change if you're surrounded by cheerleaders, mentors, and people who give it to you straight? It's like getting surrounded. So I love that you asked about the questions because that, that is at the heart of it is um, my hope is that I and others as leaders continue to grow in our ability to ask the question and refrain from just giving that, that back to simplistic, that word I hate, that oversimplified, well, do this. It worked for me. Answer. It's like, yeah. well, Maybe, maybe then, maybe not now. So I love that you mentioned the questions. That's so key. Yeah. No, I think they're, they're good. I think we've all been through those different assessments of strength finders, you know, things like that where, oh, you're this color or this is your title. You know, this is a t-shirt you wear for a group meeting and grab some pizza on the way in or whatever. It's like, that's great. But if it doesn't, if there's no follow through, and especially if you don't see the leaders involved in what it is you're doing. I've been in companies before where the leaders walk right past the group as if they aren't even there going off to something. If that guy's not engaged, if he's not involved in what I'm doing, why should I be involved? Why should I take it seriously? You know? Absolutely. And those tools, those, those easy one-off tools, they're, they're, they're great as an appetizer, but they always leave you asking what's next. And so they spark the conversation, but they don't actually fill it up. And yeah, if, if the, the senior people are not participating, you're like, wait a second, if I want to aspire to that, I shouldn't do this. Correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cues are laid. Absolutely. But I mean, like kids, you look up to your your parents and you try to model or whatever, you know, um, adult authority figure, you look up to them, you model what they're doing because you think that's what it means to be an adult. Same thing in business. If, if you're pessimistic, your team's going to be pessimistic. If you uh, yell and scream and throw things, they think that's what I need to do in order to excel at this company. So you have to set the, the example. And it's interesting because this, this is where it ties into courage in so many ways. But one of the things we see is interesting is the leader who's actually going to make a meet, like a, an actual system, systemic, systematic investment in, in their people, it's a courageous act. Mm-hmm. Because giving that smile sheet, the, the everybody, let's get a nice feel, see our personality and have some fun, people will eat that up. It's a leadership mm-hmm. party. To actually bring a process and system that's going to ask those tough questions, they're going to put the mirror up for myself and for others. I have one client right now. She shot me a note. She, we, we took their team through a full year, and now they're doing the second year 
um, on their own, which is something we commonly do. Our hope is that they use it for the next 10 years. But she said, you know, we had a great conversation, but one of the people really doesn't want to get, doesn't want to be involved, doesn't doesn't want to share, doesn't want to connect and and communicate. And, And part of the challenge there is when you get deeper into those questions, it can be rattling for a person to either realize maybe there's a mismatch or they're with their organization or there's something they need to change or there's something there. There's some incongruence that, that's getting raised. And so we, we often think, oh, putting development in place will be good. And, and the reality is not always. We had one leader ask us, he said, okay, if, if I do this, if I make this investment that you're saying is a year-long process that I should continue after that forever, he said, well, some of my people leave. Hmm. And Rob and I were sitting in this meeting. We looked at each other. He said, yes. You yeah. know, he said, good. I'm hoping that the right people will double down and stay in the, and the right people will, will, will be able to transition to their next thing. But that there's always a risk yeah. that if we're going to get really intentional about investing in people, having honest conversations, it's going to be difficult and uncomfortable for us and maybe for them at well, at first, eventually it'll feel like the normal thing we do, but at first it's going to feel kind of sure. kind of funky and bring stuff up that we don't want to get into. Yeah, exactly. No, working with a the client, uh, they had hired somebody, they had somebody on the, on the team that they always complained about every time we'd meet, they complain. It's like, why is this person still working here? Well, I hired him. Uh, okay. <laughs> you hired him, but it's a bad hire. Yeah, I know, but I just, eh, you know, I feel bad. It's like if you brought the wrong person in, you're not doing them any good either, you know, because they don't like what they're doing. They don't like where they're at. The rest of the team is suffering from it. You're suffering. Why keep those people around? You know? Yeah. So in the in the questions, do, do you work with just the individual leaders? Do you work with their full uh, leadership team or how does that work? Yeah, oftentimes it's the, the entire leadership team to start. We'll take them through a year long process and have a, have a couple people getting coaching along the way. So we're gonna, we're gonna take them through a monthly cadence where once a month they complete an assessment tool, which should hopefully challenge them, ask them questions they don't have the answer to, come to a 90 minute uh, virtual session, and then cascade it into either one-on-ones with each other, with their, with their director uh, uh, manager, or with an, executive, with, with an executive coach. And the key leader ideally goes through our two-day intensive ahead of time, so that they've gone through the full year process in two days and can show up with their, their full self. And that's been the meaningful thing where when people start to have those, conver- it's really a conversation. We're, we're providing a scaffold for a conversation that people want to have, but don't have a way of getting up to. I'm looking out my window, they're doing some construction across the street and they quite literally have scaffolding to get to the places that no one would be able to climb up on their own. Right. And so that's our hope is the tools they're, they're tools, not tests, to provide a scaffold for that deeper conversation. Nice. Um, and as that happens, the culture starts to change, but it, it doesn't change overnight. And that's part of the patience. Yeah. I think sometimes it's the courage to be patient, to say, we're going to continue <laughs> to move through this, even if it feels uncomfortable, yeah. and trust that the process will be the thing that brings about the goodness. Exactly. Um, so. I was working with a client a few years back and they said, you know, we want to change our culture. And I said, well, that's going to take a lot of time and you have to be intentional. Right. And she said, is there any way to do this faster? I said, absolutely. <laughs> goes, How do we do that faster? And I said, you fire everybody and hire only the type of person. And she goes, Oh, that's what we can't do. Okay. Well then it's going to take time because oh. the people have gotten into a rhythm. You know, they're, you brought all these different people in. They've had influence from the different leaders you've had in the team. The culture is what it is, right? It's the amalgamation of all the other people that are working here and all their beliefs and thoughts and work habits and everything. You have to slowly change that. The leadership team has to say, here's the path we're on now. Everybody turn and follow me and slowly bring them down that, that path. It's so good. I had a similar situation a couple of years ago, a, v, a new VP of HR joined an organization I was working with. And I, I asked him, I said, what, what's the big thing for the next couple of years for you? He said, I'm going to change the culture. So I asked him, I said, are you going to fire everybody and replace them? Because otherwise it's probably not, that's probably not an 18 month initiative. No, hopefully not. (laughs) If you want it to stick. So while the whole intentional leader development, the holistic side, is that 
making sure that you're helping them in every area of their, because leadership is more than just being the boss. It's more than just standing up in front of the crowd. It's everything about that person, right? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of purpose behind each of those words, but that gets into our methodology, but even the, our deeper assumptions and philosophy. So that whole piece is so key. It's quite literally the whole person. And what that means for me is when I'm working with a leader, I love leveraging strengths, but I know from the four decades of research on executive derailment and just seeing leaders do this, people derail because of their blind spots. Mm-hmm. And so I want to take into account your strengths and your growth areas, your beauty and your brokenness, as one client said to me. And, and I hope that's something that enables somebody to grow and develop in their personal and professional lives. One of my litmus tests is always when somebody says, when somebody makes a connection to how they're leading at work impacts their personal life or their personal life impacts their work life, they realize they're a whole person. Like that's usually the litmus test for a meaningful leader thing, whatever the thing is. So that's part of what the whole, the whole piece is. Um, and then a long-term recognition that it might be a leader starting something that ends with somebody else. And so even that courage to be irrelevant and not just make it about, about them is so key. And I love that, you know, the intentional is, is about bringing that structure, giving some of the agency that leader piece is interesting. You, you might notice we don't use the word leadership a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not that we don't care about leadership. We'll sometimes joke. We don't care a lot about leadership, but we care deeply about leaders. Nice. And that, that's our way to get back to what we think of as a focus on the one with an eye to the many and leaders are people. So what does it look like to prepare a leader? Like when I talk about courage, I think we can do it systemically, but at the end of the day, and I love that you ask people on your, on your podcast, you know, what does courage look like for them or the different um, the spectrum of courage? Because it, it's, it's kind of bespoke to the person, right? Mm-hmm. It's, Absolutely. it's not, well, here is courage. So go do it. <laughs> a firefighter might not feel like running into a burning building as a courageous act because it's their job. Like they just, right. they're trained, but by getting up on stage in front of a thousand people could feel completely courageous. Whereas most of us would say, yeah, running into a burning building is, is, a, is a, a show of selfless, so it's different for different people. Sure. And, um, and development is so funny where development is change, right? And so I always laugh. I, you know, I think of the organizations I've been a part of where we, we invite leaders to a leader development program. And really the subtext is, Daniel, I'm inviting you to change. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm ready. Yeah. Think about that. So that probably wouldn't sell. It probably wouldn't sell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come to this seminar. Uh, on changing. Yeah. That's always tough. But, you know, we've had people, uh, clients that we worked with that said, you know, won't changes happen naturally? Yes. Change is constant. Change happens naturally. What you want to try to do is guide that change to the result you're after. Right. And I like that about your program is that it's all going down the path to make them better and thereby making their team better, thereby making their company better. Yeah. Yeah. And the key there, you, I like that guiding because we, I can't prescribe to somebody what the three steps to leadership successes in the oil industry. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I also don't know the three steps of success in manufacturing, but they do. Mm-hmm. And if we can create a process for them and ask and help them ask the right questions, they will, they will discover it. And not just because it's inside themselves. Sometimes the answer is inside. Sometimes it's not, but if they can ask the right questions, they're going to start finding the answers and so that's my job is, is, is to be there to help, to help the move, move along, not to tell them this is the way, um, nice. but walk with them. So it is a lot like coaching where you're asking questions rather than prescribing. Absolutely. Actions. Perfect. Yeah. I think of coaching facilitation as um, synonyms at different levels, you know, compared to advising and teaching. Yeah, absolutely. So you brought up courage a few times. Um. And we talk about courage on, on this. Where did you find the courage to, to do what you do? Um, we'll start with that. Where did you find the courage to, number one, get the degree in this area, which a lot of people don't really understand, but it's so necessary. Where did you find the courage to then branch out and start doing this? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, it's personal, as I think it always is. For me, 
I've never thought of myself as a very courageous person. So if you asked me to make a list, I, I don't know if I'd put that on my, on my list of attributes to describe myself. And actually the person who does, I might question it. <laughs> but, you know, uh, a number of years ago when I joined Wild, there, um, Rob asked me, said, hey, if you're, before you join us, would you go back through the assessments? We'd been flooded out of our house uh, mm. as a family. And so you think of classic change management. There was an unfreezing moment that our hands were kind of up. And I, then I bump into Rob on an airplane. And, he, and so I was open to an opportunity, even though I had no reason to leave where I was. And I've always been averse to risk my whole life. I grew up in a, in a family of entrepreneurs and I never saw myself as that. One of the assessments, the first assessment had a question that said, what would change if you had the strategic network of support to take a calculated risk? Hmm. And I kind of stopped. And I thought, if I think of a strategic network of support, I've got that. I've got mentors, advisors, advocates, people who give me feedback, emotional support. I've got, I've got the people who I know if I took a strategic risk, they, and it, they would help me make it work. And if it didn't work, they'd be there to catch me when I fell. So that reframed for me to realize for me, the courage was bolstered by, by those who I could stand on their shoulders or who I knew would stand me up. And that I did not have to do it alone. So I had mentioned it before. Uh, um, I just finished writing my first book a month ago. It's, it's getting ready for getting out to publishers. Nice. And uh, the, the working title is Don't Lead Alone. And the whole premise is that while leadership can be lonely, I don't believe leaders should be. And that we need different people for different reasons in different seasons to help stretch us, mm-hmm. support us, or help us in strategic ways. And that's not a selfish thing. In fact, we, we need it. So that, that opened up my eyes to say, okay, I've got a lot of people. I think I could take a risk that I might never consider and join an entrepreneurial venture that grabbed my heart because this, this mission of developing courageous and sacrificial leaders is so near and dear to what I want for leaders. And so to step into doing that myself, um, had I not had the people around me, I probably wouldn't have considered making that leap. And if I think of anything I've done that had any semblance of courage is probably not on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Being surrounded by, by people to support you. Definitely important. Now, what about the, uh, the leaders you work with? Where do they find the courage? What is it that happens either in their business or their lives where they say, I need help or I need to be stronger. I need to be better. What does that usually consist of? Or is it, it's probably different for everybody, but what have you seen? Yeah, it's interesting because some 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 leaders, it's fascinating. Those who are the traditional entrepreneurs, right? They just they they see they're motivated by possibility and opportunity. I had one guy tell me he, he said, "I'm not the smartest in my business by any means, but I'm the one who is most willing to take a risk and put my skin on the line, and that's why I'm leading that organization." Nice. Nice. And and so for those leaders, it's interesting. I, I think they're the so some people perceive their courage as starting the organization. They might not see that. For them, the courage might come in when the organization hits a point. This is often where we join them, where they realize they can't do it on their own. And the classic, what got you here will get you there. Right. They recognize, I need, I need somebody who can help me get to this next level. Yeah. And so you said, ask for help. I, I think that humility is one of the keys it, that's so tied with, it's such a paradox of courage is a leader to a place where they're willing to ask for help. I struggle to ask for help. So when they get there, something has happened. Either it's a pain point that they will try to get out of, but but I think the more motivating ones are when they realize there's such a bigger vision for where I want to go and I truly cannot get there. So let me ask for help from the people on my team or an external uh, group of advisors or consultants and coaches who can help me make that way. So I think sometimes it's, it's, uh, I think in both cases, I'm seeing this future possibility, this, I, this vision of what could be that then can muster up the courage that maybe somebody didn't realize they had. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's gotta be tough, you know, being in a leader position to admit I've, I've reached, you know, my glass ceiling, I've, I've hit the wall. I don't know what to do from here. I've done everything I can and things aren't happening. That's a tough position to be in because you think I'm going to look like a failure. 
But to me, reaching out and saying, I need help beyond this point. I mean, something as simple as, as fishing. I always tell the stories of my uncle and I go and fishing. He knew all the best places. He knew what was going on. And if you were doing something and it wasn't working, you could turn to him and say, what am I doing wrong? Boom. He'd have the answer for you. And you start catching fish right and left. Same thing in business. A lot of times you do everything, you know, a lot of people start their own business because they're technically great at what they do, love what they do. But getting into a business situation where you're running the business, you're hiring and firing, that's a different world. It's not, it's not weakness to say, hey, I need assistance with this. And I wish people would take advantage of that more. Yeah. And I feel for the leaders too, because I think leading has always been this way, but maybe even more so with some of the just things happening around us today with technology and, and hyper visibility. But being in a leading role, by, by, by nature, it's, it's, it's isolating because suddenly you can't be fully transparent. But then there's all these paradoxes I see where we want leaders to be hyper-connected and available to us. We also want them to model good, good work-life balance and good time management. Mm-hmm. We, want, we demand that leaders be transparent and authentic and candid. And yet if they are too candid, we won't trust them because if the leader says, I really don't know where we're going and I'm struggling with this, well, now we also want them to be decisive and not waver back and forth. And so there's this, you know, we want people to have strong convictions and also willing to receive our feedback. And so I think the, the those conditions make it, anyone who is, who is leading today and not just as a title, um, it is a courageous act every single day where they get, they get put up in front and, you know, I had one leader tell us, he said, I think our organization, he was not the owner. He said, I think our organization might go under in the next 18 months. Mm-hmm. At what point do I tell people? Wow. Like wrestling through that. I'm like, that is, that is leading right there. That, that is, that's the dynamic tension of, mm-hmm. um, I need to know and have the wisdom and the courage to know when to say something, what to say, how to say it too early. And everyone's going to freak out and maybe we're actually okay. So I've, 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 you know, false alarm too late. And I care about these people and their family, friends. I mean, so anyhow, I I think that's, that's the tension today that requires courage. Yeah. Sheesh. Um, So from a, a leadership standpoint or from a leader standpoint, what do you look for in a leader? Are there certain traits you look for? Yeah. One of the th- two things we've been talking about a lot lately, we made up a word, we call it editability. Okay. <laughs> the, the willingness for somebody to press the backspace key on you, or if you think back to high school and they actually marked stuff up, right? Like right, red mm-hmm. letters all over you. Um, editability and readiness. I think one of the things that we're looking for, competence matters. Certainly that's table stakes, but the, the leader who is willing to say, I was wrong or I could, I could change that. The, the leader who's, who's has that, that tension of so courageous and sacrificial is a paradox. The willing, the leader who's willing to have courage and just be bold and go forth. And at the same time, have be willing to sacrifice or become irrelevant for somebody else. So there's a fascinating thing we've been looking for with uh, along this, that we, that I don't think is rewarded often, which is leadership reluctance. Hmm. So a question we encourage all of our clients to ask any leader they're hiring is towards the end of the process, what makes you reluctant to take this job? Because the leader who can't identify what makes them reluctant or what should make others reluctant either doesn't have, either is so convicted in who they are that they're going to cause troubles because that's coming or we haven't told them enough about what the job actually looks like. So the, the, that leader who's willing to come in and be bold, but also be editable at the same time is, yeah. is, uh, is it's hard work. And I mean, I, I would not say I've, we've got cornered ourselves. But I think we're aspiring to that, yeah. but that's what I'm looking for is the leader who's, who's, who's willing to do both, both of those things in tandem. Awesome. And how many people do you have working for you? At Wild so we've Leaders. got an amazing core team of four people who run the operations. And then we've got a network of coaches and facilitators. That's about um, a few dozen people, about 40, 45 people who have gone through. We've certified probably 500 plus people on our process. And those who've gone through, it's funny, oftentimes I had a client today who said, hey, when I'm done with this assignment, I want to talk about working with you guys. So we nice. found that our clients kind of matriculate back into 
our extended coach network of people across the country. Very cool. And how long is that process to get certified with that? So it's a, it's a two day intensive and completing the assessments themselves to be certified as a facilitator, which is our first step. That's us saying, you can go lead this in a conversation with people. And then we have three steps of coaching certification, uh, finalizing with a master coach and whole leader development. And when they've gone through that, they've done, they've, they've gotten into coaching, the science behind it. Um, and then a lot of group work as well. So nice. very cool. So if I was to bump into any of your team and ask them what type of leader you are, what would they tell me? Ooh. What kind of, what kind of leader are you? Great question. I hope they would say moving towards being a courageous and sacrificial leader. Um, I think they would say, and I'll, now I want to ask them, this is going to be a great question for my Monday morning meeting with the team. I think they would say I bring catalytic energy um, and I can help move things forward or get things done. I think they would say I lead through relationship to really get to know them and partner with them and invite them to contribute and that I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to ask the questions with them. I think that's what they would say. Awesome. I think they would tell me, they, they would also tell me that I can't, I could be more bold with the people we work with, hmm. not worry as much about what other people think. And so that's always my, my own tension is uh, I, I hear them saying, dude, just get out there and, and be bold with. So I was on a call recently with, with Rob and he said, um, I said something particularly bold to a leader. I told the team, I said, if so-and-so doesn't do this process, we won't work with you. Mm. They were, they were exploring what our process looks like. And he said, that was, you just told them that. And he said, I want more of that. And so I think our team would want me to bring more and more of that. I can be really relational and that's a yeah. double-edged sword. Yeah. That is bold. That's good though. But uh, you know, you have to do that. If the people are not willing to take the steps necessary, they're not going to get the benefit out of it. Then that makes you guys look bad. You have to hold them, have to hold them accountable. Yeah. That's so awesome. there's my, there's my growth edge. I think they would say I'm, I'm relational. That, has, that brings good and challenge. at the same time. <laughs> Very cool. So what's next for you guys? I mean, and, and you personally, you've got your book coming up next year. Um, yeah. What's next for you guys? You know, Harlan, one of the big things we've been doing is uh, COVID gave us an opportunity to launch something we'd wanted to do for a long time, which was our wild foundation. And everywhere we go, we have leaders who tell us, would you serve in this, in this way? I've got leaders who are fighting um, human trafficking. Mm. I can raise money to fight human trafficking, but I can't raise money to support the development of the leaders who are actually going to get that, get that done. Mm. Or I can raise money to put clean water in, in a child's hand. And that story will raise money. But I can't, it's harder to raise money for the leader who's actually going to mobilize those efforts. So we established the Wild Foundation as a separate 501c3 nice. to be able to put the process in the hands of leaders. And Rob asked me a few months ago with our team, he said, if, if we could have anything, what would it be? And I said, you know what? If we could get an endowment, if we could find an individual who would give us $5 million for an endowment for the Wild Foundation we could serve 500 leaders in not-for-profit organizations every year with a deep-seated leader development process for perpetuity. Wow. And so that got our team thinking. And so we have been starting the process of looking at grants and, and donors and funding to do what we are now calling the WILD Project, which mm -hmm. would be an unprecedented study on the development of leaders. So people commission studies all the time to study leaders and how they develop and grow, but they never commission a study that develops leaders in the process. And so because Rob built our process as both a research engine, as a professor, I think we've had 10 dissertations on our data, hmm. as well as a process that, that like develops leaders in the process. The, the vision would be to say, let's, let's find a partner to do the wild project where we get leaders from across industries and disciplines, take them through a deep year. And in the process, and learn from them about what it looks like to be a courageous leader in the spaces and places they're in. 
so we can turn that into resources and tools to equip others. So that's one of the big things on our agenda and heart is to say, how do we, how do we put leader development in the hands of people who don't have the resources to be able to make it happen for themselves? Nice. That would be awesome. So that, that foundation has been put together, right? You've got the foundation going. Um, how soon, how soon will you launch the wild project or is it under underway now? Yeah, we, everything is ready. So at this point, we're just waiting for uh, a partner, could be an organization, could be a nonprofit, who says, I want to partner with this and make uh, a difference. Let's go. So we've got the research engine, the teams, the facility, everything's in place, just finding the partner. So yeah. we're going to be patient and wait for the right person. There you go. And try to be bold in our message as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for medicine. Bold and courageous. Very cool. Daniel, this has been great. Thank you so much for, for being on the, on the program. If people want to get in touch with you or learn more about wild leaders, how can they find you? What's your website? Yeah. The best thing is to go to our website, wildleaders.org, and they'll see a link for something called our wild conversation. When COVID hit, the best thing we've done since COVID is every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we do a no cost conversation. We bring leaders across industries from around the country, anywhere between 40 and 80 leaders every week hop on. And we do a bite-sized little bit of content, mostly to stir the pot and spur thinking. And then we get people in breakout rooms and people have told us that it's been sustaining them through COVID. And so every week we've just tried to give give away the best of our work and bring leaders together to create community. Um, And so we have current clients, former clients, future clients, people who will never be clients, but just want to come for a conversation. And uh, it's one of the few places I think we get people from across the aisles of whatever aisle that is to come together and learn with each other. It's pretty, it's pretty special. So that's something someone could do if they want to learn more about what our work is about. Very cool. And your book is coming out next year. What's the title again? The title is Don't Lead Alone. And the subtitle is The Relational Secret of Leaders Who Last. So all about getting surrounded and supported by leaders as a leader. Very cool. Good stuff. All right, Daniel, thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here and thanks for- uh, Great questions. Thanks for for oh. making my brain go all sorts of places I don't get to do every day. So no, no worries. All right, listeners. Hope you guys were taking notes. A lot of good takeaways here. Definitely check out the website at wildleaders.org. And uh if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. <laughs>